I want to say this to you before uh, we jump into finishing up 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 22. We're going to wrap that up today. Next Sunday, we're going to take a real quick glimpse at uh, church multiplication. Um, why, how, uh, and, and how that's working in our fellowship. And then we're going to hit Advent season. Right? Advent songs, Christmas season. That's always an awesome time. But... It, Two things. Number one, December 27th through January 17th. If you plan on being out of town on Sunday, change those plans. And I'm not joking. If you want to know why we are what we are, why we do what we do and how we do it, you need to be here. I don't know if you've gotten used to this, but we talk about our DNA on those Sundays. Every six months, we revisit our DNA, who we are. Are. And if you don't know, that DNA is what causes people to... We just had a membership class. I think 20 some odd people started the class. Four came out. Like, going to join, right? And, and that's not bad. That's good. That's healthy. That's why you do the class. But it's that DNA that drives who we are and what we do. And so you need to know that. So if you're planning, hey, never plan to be absent on Sundays. There are providential hindrances all the time, right? All kinds of things happen where you ought to miss, and it's just, just the way it happens. But don't plan on Sunday being a throwaway day. That's not a kingdom mentality, okay? This is where the body comes together to meet with the Lord corporately, meet with the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit, commune with the Father together so we can scatter and go into domains of society to be equipped, filled with the Spirit, to bring the kingdom to bear in our domains. If you miss that, you're missing the, the supernatural covering of the people of God, and you don't, you don't need to do that. And I'm being serious. December 27th, January 17th, at least plan to be here. If you have a calendar, you can plan. Plan on being here. If there's any providential hindrance already in the way, we trust the Lord with that. But if, if you can manipulate a calendar, be here. Okay? Number two, in light of what happened this week, I would prefer that you read Jesus more than politicians. Read Jesus more than politicians. Do not ever... Take politics over the kingdom of God. We do not hate Muslims. Jesus told us to love enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You can't do that with a political lens. Can't do it. Can't do it. The Muslims in our town aren't even our enemies. So when you go to their restaurants, and some of you do, be extra kind. Be extra loving, leave extra tips, be extra generous. When you engage them, show them the very love of Jesus Christ. And I dare you to extend a hand of friendship and love into the Islamic Center. And let them know who you are, what you believe, but you also want to be their friend. You see, that's what Paul did. Paul makes us really uncomfortable. Because Paul didn't set up a building and invite people to come to it. Paul walked into the Areopagus. Paul walked onto Mars Hill. He went into the synagogue and he proclaimed the truth of the gospel. But he loved people. He went into their lair. And he says things that makes us... Read Acts 17. And if you tell me it doesn't make you uncomfortable, you didn't read it well enough. Because Paul walked into their domain and he used their own literature and language to communicate the truth to them. Can you do that today in the Islamic Center? If not, you're not equipped. 
So we don't look at world events and view them through the lens of politics. We look at them through the lens of the kingdom of God. We get that in the scriptures and we extend love and friendship because our mission, as Potion has said so well and eloquently, is to liberate them from the bondage of the fall in which they are under. And every single person in this room used to be under that bondage. And you're the only hope that they have through the proclamation of the gospel being released. Don't hate Muslims today. Hear me? So don't let me see any Three Rivers person on the interwebs retweeting, re-Facebooking garbage. And I'm serious. I will defriend you. But and, and listen, there are people from our country who follow me on the Twitter. Muslims. And so I have to be careful what I say and what I retweet because it goes to our country. Political leaders. Okay? And so don't put any of that trash on my timeline. Because you might get me killed. And I'm not joking. And people who are connected to us, you might get them killed. That makes sense? We engage the nations. You know that if you've been here long enough. So take these world events as an opportunity to follow Jesus, not our culture. What a grand opportunity, right? What an awesome opportunity. We can hear Jesus and obey Him. How fun is that, right? That's good stuff, but let's take it seriously and let's do it, okay? You ready for 2 Timothy? All right. I guarantee you probably in a lot of churches today, people are more amening the flag and hating Muslims and going to war than they are preaching the gospel to them. We will not be that here, okay? If that's what you're looking for, this isn't the place for you. All right? We love our enemies. We pray for those who seek to persecute the gospel because Jesus said to. All right? Now that I've made you heavy... I hope I didn't make you happy. You ought to be fired up. You ought to be fired up. Right, Miss Georgia? And I know Miss Georgia is in. Thank you. 2 Timothy 4, 6-22. Let's open our Bibles and let's read that. You see, in our tribe, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. We believe it's without error, right? And, and as a result of such folly, right? Paul calls that foolishness, right, to the Corinthians, didn't he? We believe that. And as a result, we believe we ought to do what it says, don't we? So let's take a look at what we're given. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 22. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. For ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, or did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued 
from every, I'm sorry, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul's conclusions are often overlooked in the soundbite culture of life verses. We pick into the meat of texts and we move away from introductions and conclusions. But if we truly believe that the scriptures are without error and they're inspired, which we we studied that passage in 2 Timothy, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God, all Scripture, and is useful, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, lacking nothing, right? Then the introductions and conclusions to the letters are vital. I doubt anybody has verse 19 as a life verse. Greet Prissa. You don't have this on your mirror, right? Or in your car on an index card. Or on, on your phone's home screen. Greet Prissa and Aquila in the household of Anissa Forrest. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Nobody's doing that today, right? However, we must remember that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. And so Paul's conclusions are often loaded with exegetical meaning. Some are loaded with theological application. That will be the case with 2 Timothy's conclusion. It's not so much meat expositionally as you take the words apart and exegete the grammar's connections. There is one connection at the end we're going to look at. But 2 Timothy 4, 6-22 is a summary and a theological application. So we're going to look at some concluding applications that we're going to pull out of this passage that we just read. Often one of the reasons we don't read conclusions like this and pull these things out is because we live in a religiously consumer environment that if it doesn't have an immediate make me better now, We have a tendency to skip them. But what we have in the scripture is the manual, the instruction on equipping the people of God that they may be thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing. And so what we want to do is come with a kingdom mindset, the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus Christ. Remember, we studied through Ephesians, all things being reconciled back to Christ. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is. This good news, this gospel is being preached and proclaimed. And everywhere it's proclaimed, it saves sinners. It makes disciples in every domain of society. From that, the church grows, right? That's what we'll be hitting over uh, December 27th, January 17th, KDSC. And so as a result of that, As a result of that, there is kingdom application. And so we want to take this text and we want to see the applications to the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus Christ over all things, where all things are being brought back under His control, under His rule. By the way, by the way, just this thought, I'm going to trust this and trust this is from the Lord. Paul, the apostle Paul, was Saul. And he was a Jewish terrorist whose job was to persecute Christians. And in Acts 7, he laid his, the people laid their cloaks at the feet of the young Saul as they stoned Stephen to death. 
But God in His elective and rich mercy knocked him down in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus and said, Negative, you're mine. You're my chosen servant. I will take you and I will send you to the Gentiles and I'll show you what suffering is like. Read it. God took a killer of Christians and made him the proclaimer of the gospel. God will take a Saul of Paul from ISIS. Because he intends to save men and women out of that movement. Pray that that happens. The harvest is plentiful, but the labor is few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. You think Jesus is going to answer that prayer? Yes. Yes. Because he told us to pray it. Right? Therefore, therefore, we read Paul. Don't forget, we're reading the words of a terrorist. Transformed by the gospel. Radically saved and freed. And the Lord used him to pen to us these words today. So let's look with a kingdom mindset at the words of Paul that are really the words of the Lord Jesus that would give us instruction. You ready? All right. Point number one, first application. The church is personal and corporate. The church is personal and corporate. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but all who have loved his appearing. In verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. The church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. The church is the community of the kingdom of God. The church is what happens when the gospel makes disciples in every domain of society. Now next week I'm going to throw a little statement on you right now. I'm going to let you mull it over this week and trust the Lord to work it into your soul. Every disciple a church planter. Every disciple a church planter. Every disciple a church planter. Right? So the gospel of the kingdom makes disciples every domain of society. From that, the church grows. The church is personal and corporate. Paul's words here let us know something very vital. This personal saint, this man transformed by the gospel, is writing his last will and testament. And he lets us know here, the time of my departure has come. He's in prison. He's awaiting execution. He's not getting out of this imprisonment. He's going to die. He knows it. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That, that's a very explicit picture. Drink offering is wine poured on the altar you don't get that back it soaks in it's gone he said that's my life it's being poured out it will not return to me the time of my departure has come but laid up for me as a crown of righteousness it's the lord the judge will award to me on that day and then he breaks down into verse 11 and says here i've got one guy with me get mark and bring him with you too for he's useful for ministry now we'll hit that in just a moment again and pull something from that but understand that the church is personal and it's corporate Paul speaks of his personal ministry that God had given him. But he also speaks of the fact that he has others and there are others that work with him and were useful together. Listen through his community church. As we do the work of the kingdom in Roman Floyd County and around the world, our work is personal and corporate. It's never one or the other. This is why every disciple and every domain matters. I'm going to give you a little thing next week, a little worksheet. It's a domain map. And, and you're going to get a chance to fill it out and stew on it for a few weeks. Where is your domain? Where has the Lord planted you? 
And how might you begin to make disciples in that domain and bring it under the rule of Jesus? That's a personal ministry. But the personal ministry is never divorced from the corporate. Luke is with me. Please get Mark and bring him because he's useful too. In other words, the personal ministry has corporate implications and corporate need. This is why the church is never alone an issue of an individual, and it's never alone an issue of the whole body. It's both together. A, this is why you need to gather. It's a Trinitarian issue. It's an image of God issue. The Trinity is never separated from Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are constantly active, personally, all three in one together community. But each one has an individual function inside the Trinity. Does that make sense? So therefore, in the community of the kingdom, because we're image bearers, we're no different. There's an individual application that has corporate implications. Meaning, you need the body, body needs you. You may pour your life out for the sake of what Jesus has created you to do, but you're going to need the body's life together. This is why you need this time. This is why you need radical life groups. And they work together in covenant with each other because you're on the same mission. Listen, this is why you can't do community with people you're not in covenant with. This is an epidemic cancer among the church in the West. Is we call community other people we do life with outside the people we're actually in covenant with. And that smells okay. Yeah, I got community. The only problem is what happens when people in that community don't share the values of the kingdom. Can you still do community with them? What if one in your community hates Muslims? And you're saying, we, we need to love Muslims. Can you be in community? No. Why? Because you're not in covenant together. There's a personal application and a corporate implication. They go together. Which is why we teach you. You need to be here. You need to learn. We've never failed to teach you what you need to know. At every level you need it at. If you miss it, it's not because we didn't teach you. It's because you weren't here. And you need life together to unpack that. You need a life together to say, what did you hear? What is the Spirit saying to you? What does the Word say? How do we apply that individually? How do we apply that together? So that in community, doing covenant life together, the personal and the corporate merge in the community of the kingdom, Jesus called the church. And Jesus loves His church. Matthew 16, I will build my church. And if you get outside of that dynamic, you're not part of the kingdom. Listen, this is huge. You know why some people struggle with the security of their salvation based on Romans alone? It's because it's a legal application to salvation. There's no problem with that. That's awesome. That speaks to my heart. But there's some people the legal language doesn't speak to, which is why the Lord inspired 1 John. You know how you know you're in the... John said, I write these things as you, 1 John five thirteen, so that you might... No, thank you, somebody reading your Bible, that you have eternal life. He doesn't give you a legal representation of salvation, does he? How does he tell you you know you have eternal life? You love the brother. If, if The reason some of us may struggle with, with, with the justification language is because we know we still sin. And we wrestle with the reality, God, how can you still love me in spite of the fact that I just did what I did? Valid struggle. Which is why the Lord gave us First John. Here's how you know you're mine. You love each other. You can't love people you don't do life with. 
You need to know. You need some security today. And we believe the salvation of God's people is not an issue of us. It's the elective grace of God in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? We know that. It's the justifying of sinners. But the Bible tells us one of the ways you know is you love each other. You can't love people you don't do life with. You refuse to do covenant life with people. What you're saying is I love me more than you. You have nothing of value to give me. I have nothing of value to give you. So I'll take my stuff over here. You have no confidence you belong to Jesus if that's how you function. The personal ministry and the corporate go together. And Paul articulates that when he says, I, I am being poured out, but oh dear Lord, I love Luke. He alone is with me and I would love to see Mark. I have a ministry and I have a fellowship and I need them both. There's nobody in this room above that. So application is the church is personal and it's corporate and it must be striven for that way. Second application here, and I didn't number these, they're on the blog. And so if I like get my number wrong, don't freak out because they're not numbered on mine. Because when I put numbers on them and I copy and paste them into WordPress, it does weird things. And I'm not technical enough to fix that. So if, if, if I say like six and you're like, that's number eight, be okay. And I know some personalities that's going to cause like serious like problems with. And you can't f- focus, but just do your best, okay? So number two. I can count to five, so we're going to be good to five. After that, I have no promises, okay? Number two, we are interdependent. We are interdependent. We are interdependent. We are interdependent. We live in a place where we are independent. We have a declaration of, you can't tell me what to do. I ain't going to tell you what, well, I will tell you what to do, but you can't tell me what to do. Right? Ain't no elected representative Ain't no president, ain't no mayor, ain't no church member going to tell me what to do. Amen? No, oh me, right? But we're independent people. And what we're going to realize from Paul here, he is not independent. He is interdependent. Do your best to come to me soon. I need you. Like You don't say, do your best to come to me soon, if you don't need the person you're asking to come soon to come. Do, come to me soon. In other words, Paul's not sitting in this cell going, I'm good. I'm alright. I'm an introvert. No. I am too. But the more the Lord grows me in grace, the more I realize my introvertedness is not so that I can isolate myself. It is so that I can teach extroverts how to rest in the Lord. And the reason God made some of you extroverts is to teach fools like me how to love people. And we need each other. That's why Paul calls it a body. The toe needs the arm. Arm needs the toe. Try it. This week, training a bunch of church planters out in Texas. And you'd be proud of me because I'm hard as a rock, man. Just hard-nosed, man. I sat down on a chair. I was kind of this little thing. And Emmett said, this is actually a workplace hazard. I might go sue the chair company. I'm not really going to do that. But I sat down, and and the the daggum thing like cut my fingernail in half and down to the bone on my finger on a panel discussion. There's 72 people here from different countries and all over the United States asking this guys who've done this stuff and who train in this stuff. 
And, and so I just kind of wrap it up in a paper towel and sit there as it's bleeding like crazy and just keep wrapping it up. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to this end. And here, here, here's, the cool, here's the crazy thing. One of the beautiful things of the body is that we radically need each other. I needed those guys sitting there who do things very different than me. We do teaching really well. We don't do hospitality really well. My buddy Nick Burleson does hospitality well. Nick teaches me how to love people. I need Nick. Nick's church does things weirdly. You would hate Nick's church. You'd think it's loud in here. They, they give out earplugs to kids. And they don't do like really sweet worship songs. They play music some of y'all be offended by. But they baptize more people than we do too. They know how long it takes to get from the front door to the children's area. 45 seconds. And they've trained everybody to have a 45 second conversation with Jesus. About Jesus as they walk people to places. Don't tell them where it's at. They walk them. So I need Nick to teach me how to love people like that. Nick needs to teach me. He needs me to teach him how to sit down, shut up, and listen to the Lord. But that's the body. We are interdependent. You need each other. And if you isolate yourself from one another... It is the utmost in arrogance. We're, inter- we're interdependent. Third, we have a season to serve and a time to pass the torch to our protégés. Paul says here, once again, verse 6 through 8, I'm done. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. It's over. But what is he, what, where is he saying this at? In a letter to who? Timothy. Paul has taken, you read the book of Acts, and we, we did this at the very beginning of studying First and Second Timothy. This young, what he calls son in the faith, and he's mentored him, he's trained him, they've walked together, they've bled together, they've cried together, they've celebrated together. Timothy, I'm done. And this whole letter is instruction on how the protege is to take the torch now and hold it high and carry others with him until his day comes. Listen, church, we have a season to serve and then there's a time to pass the torch to those behind us. Number one, season to serve. In other words, there's no place in the community of the kingdom for not serving. Every disciple a church planner. But there's a season that's going to come to an end. And the implication is you've got somebody to pass the torch to. Remember I asked you this question a few weeks ago to the men. How's your men? Remember, ladies, I ask you this question. How's your women? How are your men? How are your women? Who are you passing the torch of ministry to? Remember, we, we established early on in the study of First and Second Timothy that these letters are not just written to Timothy. They're also written to the church at Ephesus, too. There's a personal corporate implication in these letters. So they didn't just, hey, let the pastor go handle it. We'll pay him a salary and we'll clap for him when he preaches good, criticize him when he doesn't. Uh, go do your deal. Woo, good job. No, this is to the church at Ephesus, to Timothy. Timothy, I'm done. It's over for me. Here's the instruction. Go take it, little brother. How are your men? How are your women? There's a season to carry the torch, a season to pass the torch. Make sure you have somebody that you invest in and you transfer information and life experience and ministry to. How are you going to do that? Personal, corporate implication. By the way, here's, here's a little tip for you. Discipleship is the burden of the one seeking to be discipled, not the discipler. 
See, the discipler ought to have their nose focused on the mission. And if somebody wants a piece of that, it's not the job of the discipler to stop the mission. It's the job of the disciple to get in their footsteps and follow them and figure it out. Don't call me or don't call somebody else and say, hey, come meet with me. No, you come find me and follow in my footsteps. Do what I do. That's what the Lord did. Jesus didn't slow down for the twelve. Pay attention to the Gospels. Hey, Lord, uh, we're going through Samaria. Why don't you back up? Because we don't like them. Jesus, I got a mission. Get on my six. Let's roll. There's a woman at a well. Needs to hear the good news of the kingdom. Let's go. And he plowed right through enemy territory. Hey, if he really a prophet, he'd know that's a prostitute. He wouldn't go to that place. Did he slow down for that trash? No, he let the prostitute wet his feet with her tears and wash his feet with her hair. Why? Because he's on a mission to make kingdom known. Get on my six and follow me. Do as I do. He took his garment off, put it around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. What did he say? Do what I did. Listen, if you want to be discipled, get on the six of somebody that's getting it done and follow them. Don't slow them down. Make sure there's somebody following you. Make sure sure there's something worth following. The kingdom is bigger than getting the job and getting paid. The kingdom is the rule of Jesus Christ in every domain of society. I don't know what number we're on, but it's the next one. We should be prepared to model how to suffer and die well. Again, verse 6 to 8. We need to be prepared how to model suffering and dying well. It's, it's one thing to say, follow my life example. It's another thing to say, die like I died. Come and, come and learn from me on my deathbed how to, how to die full of the Holy Spirit. We want to disciple in life, but we really don't want to disciple in death. And Paul is laying out his life. Paul's not sitting here going, oh God, give me more time. I'm done. I've kept the faith. Timothy, do it like this too. And Paul says this over and over again. He says, imitate my example. He says it to the Corinthians. Imitate my life. Right? Timothy, I'm dying as well as I can. Die like this. We've got to be prepared to model how to suffer and die well. Paul is in this prison. He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he's, and he's suffering and he's not wallowing in his pity. He's writing a letter to his protege showing him what to do next. That's a darn good example of how to suffer and die well. Three Rivers Community Church, go do likewise. Be prepared how to model suffering and dying well. Bob said this to me this week. He said, don't suffer as a victim. View suffering as you're perfecting. View suffering as teaching you how to lead. Next, we should constantly be preparing our replacements. That's a repetition, verse 6 through 8, but it's vital. We should constantly be preparing our replacements. Why? And the reason I restated this, it's repetition, the reason I restated it is this statement. I probably could have put this as a sub-point, but I didn't want to do a sub-point. I just want another point. So I want to say it again. Everybody in this room is expendable. Me too. 
if there were no expendable people, God would have just granted like practical perfection to Paul and he would still be, be walking the earth. Right? There, we don't even know where a cat's buried. Probably in a nameless grave. He was beheaded by Nero. So he probably got shoved in a poor man's grave and covered over with dirt. No marker for Paul's grave. Why? Because the kingdom's not dependent on Paul. The kingdom's dependent on the king, Jesus, who is ruling it well. Because not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father, according to Jesus. So therefore, you're worth more than many sparrows. When your time comes, your time comes. Trust me, Jesus says. Don't fear them. Fear me. Matthew 10, right? So we're all expendable. So because of that, we, we don't know our day. So Jesus said, don't worry about that. You can't make one hair white or black or make it grow or make it stay. So don't worry about what Gentiles worry. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. And I'll take care of what you need. We're expendable, so make sure somebody is being prepared to take your place. If we do the work of the kingdom, next point, we will often be alone. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, this like makes no one came to stand by me. How could that happen? He's Paul, right? I mean, look at that and think, he should have had a crowd there. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Really? And what does he say? He <laughs> daggum quotes Jesus. May it not be charged against them. You know what? If you do the work of the kingdom, you're going to find yourself alone. It's just reality. Do the work of the kingdom, you will be alone at times. There are going to be moments where you are trudging and you're trudging by yourself. But here's the good news. You're alone because there's no flesh and blood around you. But you're not alone. Paul will tell us a minute. in a minute, the Lord stood by me. Remember what Paul said in his journey to Rome on the ship? The Lord came and stood by me. Told me it's going to be okay. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we're never alone. We have the constant presence of Christ. But people will often leave us alone. Even those who call you their friends will abandon you. If you do the work of the kingdom, that's the way it will be. Heck, Jesus' own disciples left him alone. Just the nature of the human beast. Fallen human image bearer is better. Next point, we need each other. Verse 9, we need each other. Do your best to come to me soon. Paul once again cries out, I'm repeating, come to me soon. We need one another. Listen guys, as best as possible, don't leave each other alone. You need each other. You know what the Lord tells us how to do evangelism? Remember when we studied evangelism a ways back? Did Jesus tell us to go out alone or to go in twos? Even in doing ministry, Jesus tells us to go in pairs. Why? Because we are image bearers of a Trinitarian God. We never do anything alone. We should never seek to do anything alone. We need each other. When I go to the Islamic center, I'm carrying somebody with me. Why? Because Jesus said to. 
hear and obey, right? He who hears these words of mine and does them is a wise man who builds a house on a rock, right? He who hears these words of mine and does not do them is, is a moron, paraphrasing Jesus. So hear and obey. We need each other. Next point, verse 10, verse 14 and 15. We will be mistreated and deserted in the work of the kingdom. So beware those who will make that their M.O. Verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Now what's interesting about this passage is there's no indication that these guys are leaving the faith. They've gone to Thessalonica, Right? And, and Dalmatia, the implication may be they're going on to do ministry. But notice Paul's language. They deserted me. They left me. Perhaps even with the best of intent, we may be deserted. But notice verse 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. We'll be mistreated and deserted. And beware of those who make that their M.O. Beware of those. And Jesus told us in his parables, there will be weeds among the wheat. Beware of the weeds. Beware of those who make it their M.O. Of deserting and leaving alone and isolating themselves. Beware. Beware, beware, beware. Verse 11, next point. Next observation, next application. There will be loyal and faithful co-laborers. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he's very, very useful to me for ministry. There are going to be seasons where we have a loyal and faithful co-laborers, church. There are going to be seasons where you've got people who will plug right along with you and get after it with you. And so look for those people and enjoy those moments. This next is one of my absolute favorites. Because it kind of paints Paul in the proper light. Paul's not perfect. We have a tendency to look at Paul, and, and, and I do this. We elevate him as, oh... But Paul had his warts, and here's one of them. Verse 11, we will learn there are times we're wrong. Paul makes a confession to his wrongness here in verse 11. Are you aware of it? Get Mark and bring him with you, comma, why bring Mark? Here's the purpose clause, because he's useful to me for ministry. Do you remember what happened with Paul and Barnabas? Why did they split ways? Why did they divide? Because partway through the first missionary journey, Mark, John Mark, left the work and went home. And when they got back from the first missionary journey and wanted to strike out on the next one, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and Paul said no. And what was his reason? He deserted us. He left us. I'm done with John Mark. I'm done with him. So what does Paul do? He takes Silas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, by the way, you know Barnabas' real name? Acts 4? His name's Joseph. Barnabas is his nickname. Barnabas, son of encouragement. The encourager takes John Mark. Paul, the jerk, takes Silas. I'm done with John Mark. What does he say in verse 11? He's useful to me for ministry. Who is right, Barnabas or Paul? Barnabas. There are going to be times when we're just wrong. There are going to be times when we make mistakes. There are going to be times we trip up and we mess up. And what we can't do is let those seasons cripple us. We recognize that we're wrong and we say, bring John Mark. He's useful. 
I love that John Mark. Thanks to Barnabas. Thanks to Barnabas. Thanks to Barnabas. So there are going to be seasons that we are wrong if we do the work of the kingdom, but we don't let it cripple us. We recognize that, you know what? He was the man, and he is the man, and I need him. Would you bring John Mark with me? How cool it is that God restored that relationship. Right? There be seasons I'm wrong. I'm wrong every day about something. So are you. We don't let it cripple us. We move forward, recognize it, repent, move forward in the work of the kingdom. Next point, even our hurting and confinement, even in that, there is work to be done, so we need to keep our wits and keep at it. Verse 12 and 13, what does Paul say here? Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. So, so Paul's sending. It's not like he's sitting in his cell going, oh, woe is me. I'm sending Tychicus. Get off. You need to get back to Ephesus. You need to get to work. So he's commanding the work. Tychicus, I sent to Ephesus. When you come, I'm hoping you can get to me. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. Bring my work. Bring my work. There's stuff to be done. I'm not dead yet. There's things to be written. There's things to be written down. I'm cold. Need my coat. Bring it. Let's roll. Let's stay at it. So even in our hurting and confinement, there's work to be done. Remember, suffering is how we learn to lead and follow Jesus. So we don't get crippled. We recognize there's work to be done. There's kingdom work to be done. So we seek to stay at it. It's hard sometimes. You've got to trudge. You've got to plod, right? You know what plodding means? Just one step at a time. Some days it's one day at a time. But even in our hurting confinement, there's work to be done. So we keep at it. What a great example by Paul. Bring my parchments. That's cool. That's really cool. By the way, there's no indication this prison is, is, is really sweet. Like he had a, a swanky deal. This is a Roman prison. And chances are it's dark and damp. Chances are disease is rampant. And he's going, I'll figure, bring me my stuff. Why? Because his eyes fixed on the mission. A side note here, if your eyes are fixed on yourself and your comfort and your world and everything you can get this side of the kingdom fully come, suffering will shut you down. But if your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and His kingdom and all things being reconciled back under Him, you can plod because you know at the end of the day, Jesus will deliver, He will make right. Either in my death or in my life, Jesus will make it right. It's a different mindset. Verse 17, next point, the Lord Himself will be our constant companion. I told you we'd get to that. But the Lord stood by me. What? All those people deserted me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that, here's the purpose. Why did the Lord stand by Him and strengthen Him? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. This is cool. Now, now, the Lord stood by me. He strengthened me. Why? So that I could preach the gospel. So that the Gentiles might hear. And notice what he says. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. He's about to die. How in the world can he say that he's rescued from the lion's mouth? Well, Jesus. Listen to Luke 21, 10 to 19. And he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. 
But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. Why? Because life isn't defined simply by life and death. This is why Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. Physical life isn't all there is. Paul said, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. In other words, Nero may have my head lopped off, but that's my gain. Because I'm going to be resurrected with a new body that's not broken. And in this moment, I will be ushered to the side of Christ and all will be well. So don't fear Nero. The Lord is our constant companion. He will deliver us from the lion's mouth. Jesus said, don't fear man. Don't fear them. Fear me. They may take your life, but I will cause not even a hair of your head to perish. Matthew 6, 13. Jesus taught us to pray like this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, guys, evil cannot befall you. You need to get that. It may look on the outside like evil won the day, but the reality is evil did not win the day. Evil can't win the day. It won't win the day. That's a promise of the Lord. This is why I told you, take a kingdom perspective. Look at this stuff with a kingdom lens. Don't don't think the world has spun out of Jesus' control. If you do, you have not read your Bible. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father, Jesus said. And we're more valuable than many sparrows. So if I pay with my life, it's a dear price. This is why the psalm says, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of His saints. There's no wasted death on the part of Jesus. Do we trust Him? Last point. And this is found in verse 19, 20, and 21b. Don't forget to greet and pass on the Lord's greetings from our faithful, from our faithful friends. And we look at things like this. And like I said, nobody, I guarantee you this is nobody's life verse. But it's inspired. Greet Prissa and Aquila in the household of Anisiphorus. Let me ask you a question. How precious do you think it was for Timothy to say, Paul sends his greetings when they know he's in prison? You think that fell on deaf ears for Priscilla and Aquila? You think they treasured that and said, Oh, my brother, my brother. You think, you think they prayed for him, perhaps? Nah, they're too busy watching the Falcons. <laughs> no, of course not, right? Listen, don't forget, as the community of the kingdom, to pass upon the Lord's greetings. Notice, greet Prissa and Aquila in the household of Anisiphorus. Which is kind of cool, because that's going to come up later in a little book, right before the book of Hebrews, right? Erastus remained at Corinth. And I left Trophimus, who is ill, at Miletus. Dear best, come before winter. Pubulus sends his greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And this is beautiful. This is how he ends the letter. Now, this is, this is a really exegetical nugget here. 
Verse 22, the first part, is singular, meaning it's written to Timothy. Grace be with you is plural, meaning it is written to the entire church at Ephesus. So Paul sends to Timothy this special word, the Lord be with your spirit. You think Timothy received that? He's pastoring Ephesus. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's sitting here thinking, oh God, I think I'm going to write my resignation letter today. I hate this place. I hate these people. I hate the town. I do not want to be here. Dear Jesus, rescue me. What the heck am I doing here? And Paul says, the Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. And then he writes to the whole church, church grace be with you. Listen, guys, the Bible, this is probably weird for a lot of us, but the Bible teaches us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, hear me, we don't need to get crazy with that. It doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that you have power over life and death. By that, It does mean that you can kill a soul or you can heal a soul by what you say to it. And everybody in this room knows what that feels like. I had a person tell me one time, you're just a teacher, you're not a pastor. You should probably look for another profession. I'm still recovering from that. There's not a day that I don't wake up but those words don't ring in my ears and I wonder, am I, should I? And it's a fight to not be bitter about that. Because I like getting even, man. Thank you, Miss Georgia. I, even is good. Jesus won't let me get even. And that word still haunts me. And there are days I'm not sure I can get over it. I can still hear their voice in my ear now. But man, there have been those glorious moments where there was a fitting word. And what does Proverbs say about a fitting word? It's gold, an apple of gold and a fitting of silver. Yeah, it's just right. Listen, don't forget to pass on blessings and greetings from the saints. Save them, pass them on. And if they're given to you for someone else, whatever you do, it's not irrelevant. Pass it on. This is why we come back and we tell you about our trips to our people. And we tell you their words. So that you can hear from the other side of the world how your family's doing. This is why we encourage you to email them and, and to when we, when we go and we take things so that your words can be a ministry to their ears. Don't forget that. That's not irrelevant. That's in the manual. Right? So don't, this is one of the reasons we have you greet one another. I know that's kind of strange. It feels weird sometimes because we're not, we're a really weird church, right? That's why only four people came to the membership class. It's strange. Uh, you talk about nations and Great Commission and Jesus and kingdom and weird stuff. You don't, you know, you don't do anything else, so I don't. Okay. But we want you to greet one another. We want you to say the peace of what remind you. You're at peace with Jesus Christ today because of the work of the cross. So live in it. And that and, and by the way, just an FYI, that time isn't for visiting. It's really not. It's for you to be gracious to one another by speaking words of grace to each other. The peace of the Lord be with you.
Three Rivers Community Church, the peace of the Lord be with you. Rest in that today. Rest in that today. So don't forget to pass those things on to one another, okay?